Cloudcast Media presents from the massive studios in Raleigh, North Carolina. This is the Cloudcast with Aaron Delb and Brian Gracely, bringing you the best of cloud computing from around the world. Good morning, good evening, wherever you are, and welcome back to the Cloudcast. Uh, back on the show after a couple of weeks off and doing some traveling and uh, seeing the world, and uh, we are happy today to be, you know, joined here in the massive Cloudcast studios and, and from parts of the world by good friend of the show, longtime, um, you know, well-known person in this space, uh, moving around a little bit. John Troyer, welcome to the show. Well, thanks for that intro, Brian. I know that was a, here. It was it was a weird introduction, but I wasn't I wasn't exactly sure how to introduce you because a lot of the people uh, I think who listen to this show know you from from uh, your days at at uh, at VMware, and you you know very successfully ran director of of community and a lot of other projects there. So I mean, you you've been heavily heavily involved in the industry that the Cloudcast grew up around, and now you're doing something called Tech Reckoning, which. I'm an avid reader of and aware of, but tell folks what tech reckoning is and, and why you decided to go down that path. Sure, sure. Thanks. Well, um, I left VMware 2014, I guess, and I had done a lot of community things there, and, and we had a, very, had a very successful community, and I saw what it could do for VMware and for people's lives and careers. So people kept asking me at vendors, hey, how could we do this? And, and aside from my first answer, which was get a time machine, go back to you know 1999 and invent a new infrastructure layer that's going to change the industry uh you know that wasn't a very good answer so i said well maybe i could help you so i'm a little bit of a consulting arm we're a small agency that helps with influencer marketing and and that sort of thing and that's growing and then we're also kind of a media arm where we have a newsletter and a podcast and i work with other people on some podcasts and venture capitalists and other companies and um uh, and I'm working on some some new stuff in development, which we, we maybe we'll get to. Yeah. Uh, but uh, you know, trying the basic thought about tech reckoning is: look, you've got this great bottom-up, peer-to-peer way of communicating now, and most companies, one, most companies don't know how to take advantage of it, and two, most professionals aren't taking advantage of it. And the professionals that do take advantage of it, that listen to podcasts like this, that go to conferences and meetups, uh, have an advantage in their careers. So how can I help the IT industry? get to wherever this IT industry is going. And that involves clouds and containers and automation and all that sort of good stuff. So I'm trying to help people and at the same time make a business about it. Right, right. And, and you know, I think, um, you know, the thing that, that I've always admired that you, you do so well is, um, you know, th- th- there's always going to be technology in this industry. There's always going to be new things coming along. There's always going to be, you know, what's hot, you know, uh, technology X kills off technology Y. And and you've honed in very much on, you know, the, the people side of this business. And I don't mean that in the sense of just being, you know, the completely sort of soft side of this, but but really trying to help people say, look, you, you need to have a plan, um, whether you're on the individual side of the world and, and you're trying to navigate what your career looks like, how to how to find good mentors and good communities to be around, or you know, as you're as you're talking to, you know, vendors and so forth, like trying to help them realize like technology gets sold to people. It gets consumed by people. It gets used by like, (laughs) and I think, I think what you do in that space is, is really interesting. And I think we're going to, we're going to try and explore some of that today uh, in a a bunch of topics that you and I have been having these conversations for a bunch of weeks, just, you know, in, in other mediums. And we thought we'd try and record something today. 
Absolutely. And I probably should – I've uh, not failed to promote the actual places you can interact with me. Yeah, which, absolutely. Yeah. Which would be the, the Tech Reckoning newsletter is probably the, big, the, the, the most easy one. And that's just over at techreckoning.com. Every week or a couple weeks, I send out some notes about links and um, you know what's going on in the industry and some commentary. And then um, I do also do uh, the most active podcast. I do other podcasts other than this is uh, the t- the Geek Whispers podcast, and that's together with a couple of other folks, Amy Lewis and, and Matt Brender. And there we talk about geek careers, and it's mostly kind of industry careers, but also IT careers and evangelism, and again how how this stuff gets talked about and sold, that sort of thing. Yeah, and obviously we we've always been big fans of of the Geek Whispers. We've, we've known Amy and Matt and you for a long time, and um, you know, folks, it's it's a it's a great show in terms of just people telling stories about how they got to wherever they were in the industry. And it's uh, you know, for for a lot of people, for a lot of the conversations I hear, people will go, "How did you get there? What did you, did you have a path to get there? Did you think you would get where you were?" And um, it's it's I don't know if it's surprising, but you, you do realize that a lot of people that that people view as successful didn't necessarily have this as a as a you know twenty year plan and but they've but they've learned how to learn they've learned how to navigate when things change overnight and uh, so yeah we uh, we always highly recommend other shows and, and and Geek Whispers is always on my list of ones that I listen to all the time. Thanks, um, thanks. So what's um, so you you and I have been having this conversation uh, for a while now and it, and it always sort of starts with with the topic of DevOps and, and, and it, it sort of goes down the path of like, you know, what, what do you think it is? You know, or you'll ask me what I think it is at least on any given day. And then, and then we, you know, once we get past sort of like, okay, that's a definition and whether it's good, it's like, well, what does this mean? Like, like put this into, into practicality for me, G- give me, you know, you've been digging into this. You've been looking at, you know, how to see if it's applicable to, to people like, give me your I don't know. Where, where do you stand in the DevOps world these days? Well, it, it's it's interesting. Um, I think my personal theory of DevOps is that it's a reaction against Agile and all the machinery and uh, consultancy that grew up around Agile and all the rigid rules and all the rigid, you know, the principles by being uh, in, in part by being uh, refusing to be defined. So that's that's a little bit why everybody has a hard time putting their hands on it. On one hand, you have folks, and I've talked to folks at Pivotal and others that say, well, you know, DevOps is around dev. And if you don't have dev in your organization, you can't do DevOps. It's around getting, uh, you know, time to value with software development. And that seems to be a reasonable definition of DevOps. On the other hand, if you go to a DevOps days, of which there are many these days, which is kind of amazing, right? They've really proliferated. It's a very good way of uh, going to some uh, your local community and getting connected there. Uh, it seems to be more about culture and more about empathy and more about kind of organizational uh, and organizational lean manufacturing, you know, blah, 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 sort of thing. So I don't know, Brian, I have a hard time putting my hand on it. If if you use the dev definition, like you have to have development, that cuts out a majority of, of people who call themselves sysadmins, right? Because a lot of shops don't do their own dev. And uh, so I, I really struggle with that definition. Yeah, I, 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 I agree with you. I think um, cause we've had some of the folks who, who sort of live in the quote unquote DevOps community on the show before we've had, you know, Michael Ducey from, from chef and we've had Bridget Kromholt who, uh, you know, is, is now over at pivotal and, uh, you know, lots of other people in between. We had Chris short, uh, last week we did a show or a couple weeks ago we did a show. I, I think you're right. I think it, I always sort of look at it from the perspective of, um, you know, if, 
if you if you are actually building software. So so uh, let, let's let's just start with sort of that area because I think it it is applicable for other stuff. But let's just say you're building software. Um, you know, there, there's this natural impedance mismatch between how fast software could get written and or slash tested and and then how long it takes to get it onto uh, onto machines that are making it operational, right? So it's always the argument of like, hey, <clears throat> there's no point in infrastructure if it's not actually running out, you know, inf- uh, applications. And I think what I used to see in the DevOps community was was a lot of focus on ops, right? So they were always led by companies, you know, they were they were sponsored by Chef or Puppet or Ansible or whatever. And there was a lot of this like, hey, you've got to automate everything. You've got to teach your sysadmin people how to to use the same sort of tools that developers use, you know, uh, code repositories, and you want to use, you know, CI tools like Jenkins and automate everything. And then I think you're right. I, th- I think what happened was, um, you know, there was this thing where it was like, okay, I, I started using that stuff and, and things don't feel better. Like they don't, they don't inherently feel like we've, we've sort of bridged the gap, whatever that gap was. And so, yeah, I think they've, they sort of over rotated back towards, empathy and and people centric things and trying to be rearranging your org chart and and that's a hard thing for people because i think you're you're asking geeks to do what consultants tend to do and and geeks don't typically have the patience <laughs> geeks don't typically have the patience to want to go through a reorg they're not getting paid to do a reorg or they may not have the power to drive a reorg right it, yeah it's also very hard to do from the bottom up right, right. Uh, it has to kind of come from the top down but also i think the geeks have a lot to add to the to this whole developer centric uh, developers as as operators and operators as developers kind of thing, mm-hmm. the infrastructure geeks that is, you know the I was at a uh, talk recently and was hearing uh, I think it was Rich Miller talked and also Damon Edwards talked both about real world scenarios of where they came in as consultants mm-hmm. to try to transform people's uh, pro- project and make it more agile and more DevOpsy, and uh, you know they both of them said it did not work until we brought in the infrastructure people and in particular the security and compliance people. And there were some other aspects as well. So I think, uh, the, you know, we go back to stereotypes and generalizations about developers being a little bit cowboy and being a little bit, you know, loosey goosey with the, with the structure and the IT infrastructure people being a little bit, uh, you know, a little more rigid and a little more, you know, retentive about sort of things. And I think those have an element of truth in them and, you know, you got to bring them both together. So I think the operator people, do need to learn about DevOps, uh, and, and I think it's uh, it's critical for them to be able to bring their skills about architecture and uh, IOPS and uh, you know security and uh, you know all the all the archi- you know successful architecture and you know day two operations and upgrades and all those sort of things which uh, you know may not have been thought of by uh, uh, developers uh, or focused on. Now, of course, the developers will now email you Brian and say, well, we've been thinking about those for years, but you right. know, well, let me, let me, let me, let me put that in context though. So, um, so, and I, you know, and I hate to keep bringing back VMware cause I know you're, you're kind of beyond that and, and much, but you know, you, you've moved beyond that world. Mm-hmm. Um, but, but if you, if you sort of put things in context, like what VMware did with virtualization was originally very server centric, right? It was, it was the thing that touched applications the closest in terms of infrastructure. So you could spin up a VM in a few seconds or a few minutes. You could automate how to do that process. And, and if you looked at, you know, I mean, you used to run, <clears throat> you know, weekly uh, calls and you looked at message boards and I mean, all the complaints were always about 
the infrastructure, right? It was sort it was networking or it was about, it was about storage or it was about whatever. And, yeah. and to a certain extent, if you look at that and you go, well, let's, let's step back from, from blame and just sort of put that in context. Like the idea of, of making, uh, servers into software was a, you know, 2006 to 2010 thing. The idea of making networks and, and storage into software has really only been the last couple of years and it's still got a ways to go in terms of, you know, kind of bringing it on par in terms of saying like, it's kind of software, it has APIs, it could potentially start to act the way you want it to act. Um, I mean, do you think that's, that's a part of it? Or do you, do you think it really is just this sort of mindset of, of network and storage and security teams to go like, look, my, my job isn't to go a thousand miles an hour. My job is, is, should be focused on stability and availability and, and those things, you know, sort of mismatch of, of goals. Well, I think it's never one thing, right? It's always a confluence of of the bigger picture and and technology advances and things like that. We now have a surplus of infrastructure, right? We have more capacity. When the capacity was scarce and infrastructure was scarce, you needed high priests of infrastructure to allocate it and take care of it. Uh, It's now abundant. So uh, some of that need goes away. And uh, now we can do things like uh, software-defined networking and, and, and software, which are perhaps, you know, in the old world would have been too inefficient. So you've got some of that coming on. And, you know, I do think as technologies grow up, they get boring. Um, you could use the Wardley, you know, uh, town planners sort of uh, analogy, or you could you could do other stuff. But, you know, at some point, uh, you know, that's why you hear rumblings. Uh, we've heard rumblings in the last six months. Well, Docker's moving too fast, uh, you know, from, an in, from some of the infrastructure folks or sure. from some of the folks that are trying to put it into production. Um, and so you do have to slow down. <laughs> you do have to get st- stable. And you do have to not be on, um, uh, you know, you, you should not have to be on Twitter and, and Hacker News and, and GitHub uh, at 24 hours a day to understand what the hell's going on uh, with infrastructure. Yeah, no, I agree. I agree. And uh, <clears throat> John's a popular guy. He's getting uh, he's getting called <laughs> from the, the the bat phone right now. Um, yeah. So yeah, no, I agree with that. I, I let me let me let me let me throw something out. And I and uh, you and I were going to record this. I think the uh, the day after the election, and we were everybody was sort of in a, a fog the day after, so we didn't. But I I have a I have an analogy, and tell me if you think this is this is completely wrong. <laughs> okay. And, and I, I'm not going political on this thing, but but it, it did sort of dawn on me the next morning as I was thinking about some things and. <clears throat> you know, I think you and I have talked about this. Like, there is a certain conversation that happens, uh, especially around the DevOps Day events, but, but you hear it throughout our industry, which is sort of infrastructure is a commodity. You don't really have to worry about that anymore. It's it's readily available. The, the actual technology is a commodity. Don't worry about it. And and I, I get the sense sometimes that, that the people who who do work in that space, so if you... For example, you listen to any of the Packet Pushers podcasts, you, you listen to any of those, you know, that, like there it's a crowd of people who are still incredibly passionate about what they do. They feel like they, they've done a lot. Um, and I feel like to a certain extent, the, the DevOps kind of community ignores them in, in sort of the same sense that, you know, you had a, a section of people within this last election who felt like they'd been ignored and they, you know, they felt like they wanted to fight back. I, I, I wonder if, you know, you get that sense that, you know, downplaying the infrastructure people isn't really helping the DevOps community that much because there's still people that have to, like you said, make this stuff work. Do you, do you buy into that at all? Like that, that we have to, you can't completely just ignore that and say it's a commodity? Make infrastructure great again. No, I don't want to go down um, that path. But, but, but do you ever get that sense where it's like, 
you know, you're sort of, you know, there's a, a crowd of people that sort of talk down to, to who that, that audience is. Oh, hundred percent. Infrastructure is always at the bottom in, in metaphorically and architecturally uh, and status wise. Um, you know, if you looked around uh, five years ago, you would have a lot of people that were saying the public cloud was going to take over everything. In fact, you still do, right? Sure. Uh, I can get on that fight on Twitter today. And, but, but I think we're starting to realize as an industry, as a multi-trillion dollar industry that, um, you're going to have, uh, a lot of different things going on at once. It's never going to be all of one thing. And you're going to get, uh, I think that the term of art today is hybrid cloud, right? Sure. You have, uh, that we are understanding that, that IT departments are no longer masters of just their data center, which is probably a closet somewhere, you know, near the bathroom. They are they are masters of a a, a a wide variety of services. Some of which live offsite. Some of which live in the public cloud. Some of which live in you know uh, you know colos, and some of which you know in many many different places. Very diverse. If you have that kind of environment that is multi cloud and hybrid cloud, then you are still going to have to have uh, infrastructure. Uh, you're still going to have to care about infrastructure. And I think more and more we're realizing that. And I think more and more that's where we're starting to see. A little bit of separation of concerns and a little bit more of understanding. Yes, if you're all going to Amazon, you still need that kind of app ops and kind of cluster ops and and you know that sort of management. But you don't need the infrastructure ops because you know the 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 uh, the secret underground dwellers uh, you know at AWS will take care of all that. And there's very few of them, and they take care of many machines. Um, but if you actually do have some clusters on site that you have to manage. You're going to have to. You're going to have to uh, start to manage, keep managing infrastructure, and yep. certainly folks like Dell EMC and, and HPE and others are, are counting on that, and and it seems to be realistic too because we can't just lift and shift everything. There's just no point, uh, and it doesn't really work. So uh, we're going to be living with that for decades. And so uh, you know maybe we'll be all in the public cloud. You know when we get to Jetsons flying cars, but we're not there yet. So I do think that infrastructure still matters, and I think we're starting to see that by the rise of people caring about things like uh, like kubernetes and we were just at the, where we were going to record last week was that was at kubecon right and i think kubernetes as an orchestrator one of the one of the drivers of it uh, and also docker frankly and also and also mesos and mesosphere and dcos is that and and you know and the hashicorp stuff and everything is that is that a recognition that wait a minute we need a layer that is cloud-like and DevOps-like and agile-like, but still can be deployed in multiple places. And that might be on IBM SoftLayer, that might be, uh, you know, at Amazon, that might be uh, at home, you know, with sitting right beside my VMware stuff. And I, so I think we're getting to this multi-cloud world and this middle layer. I heard I've heard it referred to as cluster ops. I don't know if that's going to end up being a term becomes more and more important because that's the layer that's going to be between the infrastructure and the app. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah. And I, and I, and I'm curious, I, uh, you know, I've been kind of living around the, the Kubernetes community probably for about a year now. You're, you're kind of wading into it. I know you did a lot of work, um, around the Mesos community for a little while. Um, I, I'm curious kind of on two fronts, um, you know, your, your take on, on KubeCon and then, you know, you just, your take on, you know, a different community, this, this, you know, open source centric, uh, you know, what, what is the, Kubernetes community. What, what what are your initial thoughts from from the last couple of days that you were out there? It seemed pretty exciting, right? There were there were over a thousand people there. Uh, Kubernetes seems to have a lot of momentum. Uh, I think there's some structural reasons for that, with with Google Google as the originator and not having to make money on it. Uh, there was a lot of there were a fair number of vendors there. They were all 
headed in the same direction. Uh, so it looks like there were everybody identified some similar gaps in terms of manageability and and uh, that sort of thing in the in, to sit on top of Kubernetes. Um, it's interesting for me because I am not from an open source world, right? I'm more from an operations world, more from a you know proprietary vendor world. And so being a community guy, I see things through the lens of community. And so it was very interesting to see a mix of um, users and vendors, but mostly contributors and how those lines blur in the open source world. I, um, you know, people, open source projects talk a lot about their community and it took me a while I think to realize that their community is really a community of contributors, which, you know, there's a little bit of a challenge there that there's also a community of users. And in the, the old vendor world, proprietary vendor world, right, the users are like little baby birds and, and, and the mama bird has to feed them all. And they're not very self-sufficient. So you, you count on the vendor for all your fixes and all your training and things like that. Things have started to change, to mix metaphors a little bit, with, uh, you know, with the internet and with, you know, uh, social media and with uh, – uh, with the cloud and being able to demo stuff and not, you know, being able to, uh, you, you have a time to value of much, much lower. But um, in the open source community, it, it, it's very interesting that you're very focused still on the contributors and on the large customers that are able to be contributor, contributors. And I think bruh, a more a vendor-centric ecosystem like Docker has more of an ability to onboard and make things easier for users, and a multi-vendor community like Kubernetes is has a higher level of challenges. And I think you saw the same thing with OpenStack. Yeah, yeah, there was, um, yeah, there was, there was some parallels to OpenStack. I know I, when I was sitting there, uh, I think on the first day keynote, um, I forget who was giving the talk. It was. It was either uh, Dan Kahn, who who runs the CNCF, or or maybe somebody from Google, but you know they were they were talking about all these um, all these SIGs, right? These these uh, you know uh, special interest groups and the, the groups that focus on you know certain aspects of what's going on, you know, uh, multi site clustering, security, you know, whatever networking, um, and and I think somebody behind me they put up a they put up a slide and it, it showed like. 15 or 18 different SIGs were associated with Kubernetes. And, and the person behind me sort of went like OpenStack. It's like OpenStack, <laughs> um, you know, and, and, and I think you're right. I think, you know, we, we tend to draw parallels to things we've seen before and so forth. And, you know, for me, there was, uh, there was an aspect of it where, you know, I was in the hallways and it was, you know, densely crowded and packed. And I went, wow, this, you know, this felt like DockerCon two years ago where it was, you know, just in a place that was overwhelmed by the number of people that were there. And that was good. And, um, but at the same time, you know, there were, you know, there were a ton of vendors there. And, and if you don't sort of live in the world, you go, boy, it feels like a lot of these vendors sort of are doing the same thing. And I'm not sure how, you know, all of them survive and, and, you know, kind of the way we were when we saw, you know, eight, 10, 12 different, you know, distros of, of OpenStack. And, um, but I think you hit on one thing that that is very different between these, and and that is, um, you know, OpenStack always had this sort of white elephant in the room, which is, you know, one of the companies uh, kind of trying to drive this, or one or two of the companies, you know, has this you know very distinct commercial agenda that they're trying to push through this, and they're trying to, ha- and you know, and they have to to navigate you know, 25 other companies who don't necessarily want to see that agenda succeed. And I, I don't know that we see that as much, um, it, you know, like sort of from a Google perspective in the Kubernetes community, right? I think mm-hmm. Google, Google wants to succeed, but they're, they're not um, driving the technology in the same way that maybe we saw with, 
you know, some of the companies that were doing it in, in the OpenStack world, like it, they, I, I, right. I feel like they learned some things from there, but, uh, yeah, I, I think, well, they, they still certainly want to, you know, sell a lot of Google, oh, absolutely. Uh, uh, GCE and uh, GKE and things like that. But, um, yeah, it's a little bit different. Google, it being Google, right? They're a little bit of an outlier. Um, I do also think in talking to CNCF folks at the show that they were uh, very conscious of the, the open stack comparison and uh, they do not want to go down some of those same paths with some of the same politics. I mean, OpenStack, though, is, is a very different thing, right? OpenStack did have users, it does have users in the community, and but they have very large users, right? Because to really run OpenStack, you want to be a service provider or a large enterprise, right? Because it's still a little bit of rocket science even now. Or you want to get a, a distro from a vendor, right? right, right. So, but, but, the, but the contributors are the, are the larger users. And, and it really always was designed for that, I, I, you know, in its DNA. Kubernetes feels a little bit different. Um, in that, it, you know, it could really become a deployment layer uh, for for everybody that 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 is, uh, you know, cloud and destination independent. It, it could become this sort of a, a platform Lego sort of building block. And so I think you see and that kind of bleeds in from the Docker, you know, I think side of the world. And so I, th- I think you see the need you know, the, the, one of the challenges there is you have a lot of people using Kubernetes who, who don't know, who are not very sophisticated. And, you know, and so they go to Stack Overflow and they ask, you know, I'm trying to get my thing up on GKE and it doesn't work. I'm trying to do that. Blah, blah, blah. You know, so I think there's a higher bar there. There's a more there's a pool of users, more unsophisticated users who are not at, you know, uh, you know, a big bank in, in New York uh, that you're going to have to for, for, for it to really become what it could be. Uh, they're going to have to work with. I, yeah. I'm a little biased because I'd like to work in that area because I'm a community guy. So, right. but that's my, you know, I see my leg, I see my, I see my, I see the world from my eyes. What can I say? Yeah, no, I, I agree with you. I think, um, you know, one of the conversations I had with some people was was as you talk to you, you know, users and customers, if you will, or whatever, like, and you start asking them, like, well, what are you doing with it? Uh, what, what, you know, what kind of applications do you run on it, and so forth, and. I think there was a certain amount um, of this expectation because like it started in Google and uh, you know, it's under this thing called the cloud native computing foundation. And so there's this kind of inherent, Hey, it's, well, they're cloud native apps. Like that's what you do. And it was interesting to, to listen to, you know, a lot of the people who, you know, represented themselves as sort of end users, but they were talking about what they did, like the, their, their breadth of applications they run on Kubernetes is, is pretty broad. And and the vast majority of them don't tend to always be sort of, you know, brand new greenfield cloud native things. And I think there's a certain amount of that that lends itself towards, you know, why you go to these events and you like when you went to the original OpenStack events, it was always like, where are the users? Where are the, you know, like, where are the users? These, you know, it's everybody's sort of a vendor and everybody's, whereas this was, you know, it felt like there was a lot of users. There was a lot of sort of do it yourself users. I think that mm-hmm, was mm-hmm. the biggest community of people who just said, look, we just went and got the code and we made it work. And, uh, you know, we, we, we threw some Docker containers at it and they just started working and that was all good. And, um, so I, I think we're seeing a different starting point in that it, you know, it doesn't necessarily, it, it like, it, it hasn't restricted a bunch of use cases that maybe OpenStack sort of did originally when it like, you know, it only supported compute and, and object storage. So you could only do certain kinds of applications mm-hmm, in that space mm-hmm. or, or whatever Although it was. people really wanted OpenStack to be a VMware replacement, right? Yeah, really yeah, yeah. 
And, they did. And I, and well, and the OpenStack community was like, no, we will, you know, well, they were, they were always very divided. They were very like, some of us want to kill VMware and some of us want to kill AWS. And, right. And, that which made product management and product direction kind of challenging. Right. Over the right. Years. Right. Whereas, whereas Kubernetes seems to have figured out some in-between thing. Now we'll see where that goes because it's, it's hard to do a lot of things, but. Right. Um, I want to pull out two things from what you yeah, just said. Absolutely. Actually, two very sure. different things. One of which was uh, the stateful stuff, right? The stateful sets, formerly known as pet sets uh, talk, uh, was completely overbooked. The, the one that I saw, standing room only, yeah. uh, super crowded, could have been in the main room. So I think there's a huge amount of interest in, in putting stateful apps up in there. Um, you know, I made, some, I made some joke tweet about, haha, you know, our, us, us old school barbarians are coming to like sully your beautiful 12-factor apps. Right. Uh, with with stateful services, so I th- I think that's actually going to be super interesting. I think the networking and storage components of of any container or you know oriented system are still uh, to be worked out. Yeah, uh, in real production, like real solid production mode. But I think a lot of people are working on it, so that's cool. We're just going to have to reinvent everything we had with VMware and everything that Cloud Foundry has already done. But beside <laughs> that. Um, it will get there. Um, but the other thing is interesting, like the do-it-yourselfers, right? What I was getting at is the normal sequence of events with, with open sources. You had the set of contributors, and then you had a set of vendors that, that would service the regular users and could support them and be that sort of in-between layer that both educated the users, gave them certifications, gave them training, gave them support, and also took their requests and fed it back into the project, right? When you have a lot of individual users who wanted to interact directly with the open source project that becomes um you know that 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 changes the dynamics and that i think is will be interesting in 2017 and beyond how open source communities and how the open source foundations like apache and the linux foundation work work with that yeah yeah no i agree it was um yeah because i know the cloud computing or the cncf did announce uh they announced not only like a, a certification for what did they call it? Like managed Kubernetes service, service providers. So like they weren't even mm-hmm. like managed cloud providers. They were, you know, Kubernetes specific. And then they also announced a, a whole slew of training. And uh, yeah, I mean that to a certain extent that does sort of, sort of disrupt the, the supply chain of where you go to get stuff because it's um, you know, you're, yeah, you're kind of catering to the do it yourselfers. You're also, you know, you're kind of building a foundation of stuff that, that other people could in theory take and, and, you know, kind of commercialize and so forth. So yeah, that, that part is very different. But there's a huge support burden, right? You've worked at, ben- you've, oh, you've yeah. been working yeah, at yeah, vendors. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's a huge set of people whose, whose whole job is to go out in the world and both explain what's going on, train people on it and then take their support requests right, when right. things go wrong. Right. And that's a, that, that's a huge, uh, you know, uh, headcount sort of thing that I don't know that an open source project can do with volunteers nor can they do it from a foundation basis no it's it is very hard it does it does sort of base itself on the principle of things like you know you're going to have these sort of massively what do they call them moogs massively online yeah, yeah. you know but you know that kind of learning and training and 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 that may or may not work i don't you know i don't think we're far enough into that that thing to to see um the other thing that was interesting to me um without getting into sort of all the interesting technology nuances i'm, I'm recording another podcast about some of those later this week um it was interesting to watch and and we see this at a lot of these these open source events like somebody would get on stage they would say hey i'm from such and such of uh, such and such a company and and we'll call it like an end user company and we do this and blah blah blah, blah and here's here's our stuff on github and what was always interesting to me is you know you were kind of listening to them and you went 
okay, they're definitely a do-it-yourselfer. Uh, somebody would ask a question like, hey, you know, why don't you use whatever that's native in Kubernetes? And they would kind of go, well, it didn't exactly fit what we wanted. And so we built our own. And you go, okay, they're going to reach a crossroads where they've got to determine if they want to you know, keep managing it themselves or, you know, that, that team is going to do it. And what was kind of interesting to me, you know, when I, when I put my day job hat on and I was standing in like the Red Hat booth is people from that same company who would say, well, I'm in a different group or something. Um, we don't want to be in that space. Like we don't want, you know, Mm -hmm. so I think we're going to see, uh, you know, I think companies are going to go through a crossroads of, you know, a little bit of this, you know, we've got part of us that, you know, want to be a Simon Wardley pioneer. And you've got other parts of the group who are saying, no, 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 I'm more of a, of a town planner, you know, like I, I'm, I'm that or what, but, you know, pioneers. Well, it's, so it's I'm, I'm more of a settler, you know, like I, yeah, yeah. I need to, norm, I need core, to normalize this. Is the core business of your business uh, to be writing uh, orchestration frameworks and, yeah. and utilities around them? Yeah. And, and, know, and, the, and, and the reality might be like, you probably should have a little bit of both, right? Like you mm-hmm. should have groups. And um, what's, what's always interesting to me is to see, how many of those kind of companies um, do that as as just sort of a hey this is our bleeding edge group like they're they're kind of figuring stuff out and how many of those sort of have a formal group of that called like centers of excellence because mm-hmm. I, I tend to find the the centers of excellence ones never want to come out of being the centers of excellence they're sort of like <laughs> they're like they're like universities they're like hey, we like being over here just give us our funding and we'll you know the real world that's no fun it has to do stateful things or whatever it is yeah um cool yeah, that's challenging but in the meantime right microsoft is is uh chugging along right and yeah. i think if if the linux oriented container oriented world does not grow up and become mature through what through vendors or whatever and and give a full set of uh functionality it's just going to be easier to put stuff on Azure, right? And, yeah. and I don't think I don't think the I mean Kubernetes is so young and Docker is so young. I, I don't think people realize the 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 decades long scale at which the rest of the world moves. And uh, I don't know. I, I, that's kind of a down way to end this podcast. But you know, I think if if we don't get our stuff together in terms of usability and in terms of power and stability, uh, you know. The, the the enterprise big boys will just uh, take what they take what they want and and leave us leave the startups in the dust. Yeah. Well, but I think you do bring up an interesting point, right? So, um, you know, any if you go to any open event, for the most part, it's a it's a Linux world, right? You sort of accept the Linux mm-hmm. world. Um, but but if you go back to to your previous world, you know, the VMware world was. F- kind of fundamentally a lot of windows people i mean like oh, yeah. they, they, i mean that's that's what they knew and even when when vmware kind of introduced some linux centric tooling it was like ah, i don't know what to do like this thing doesn't look like what i'm used to um you know I, I think people have to be again sort of careful not to totally downplay the role that people with linux skills might still have in this and you know obviously we saw microsoft made some announcements at, at kubecon and people talking about you know the beginning of Windows stuff and containers and um, so you know I, I mm-hmm. and oh with, yeah and they're you know they're, they're they're they are spanking their people hard right uh, yeah. Nano Server and PowerShell this is not a world of, of of wizards and clicky clicky anymore and and the admins the old school admins are screaming but hey uh, they got to come up into the into the new world too I, I did a great interview years ago with uh, Jeffrey Snover and he was like look there are lots of jobs where you don't have to keep learning right go go build houses or, or dig mm-hmm. digits right but if you're going to be in tech and IT of any sort even even you know at your local you know law firm or or school uh, 
you know, you're going to have to keep learning stuff. So like, I'm sorry that you had, you know, 10, a decade of, of wizards and clicky clicky, but uh, he didn't say clicky clicky, but you know, you're going to have to learn PowerShell and you're going to have to learn nano server and you're going to have to be much more uh, API and CLI and script and automation oriented. So, yep. I mean, the windows world is coming along. Yeah. Yeah. Let me, let me ask you one last question before we go. Um, so, uh, you know, you, you, like you said, you, you're sort of a communities person. Uh, you look at things from the lens of that. What's your, maybe what's your, what's your one minute take on kind of a lot of these new tool things, GitHub, Slack, uh, Stack Overflow, which are very, you know, they're, they're, they're interactive, but not people centric. And then what's your, what's your typical advice to people, whether it's a, an end person or a company about, you know, how deep you want to get involved with that, that from a community perspective versus a different way. Nah, the tools are a mess. I mean, but you know, if you talk to somebody old enough, they'll tell you everything was originally invented at, you know, Vax notes or deck notes anyway. So <laughs> everything we've done ever since, you know, and Usenet, um, I was an old Usenet person, but I think the tools are, are crappy. Uh, they're always crappy. Um, but, uh, you know, I, I do think the current crop of tools, uh, Slack is terrible for a community. It's, it's great for chat and getting your questions answered and, and, but it's a terrible for a knowledge base, or uh, troubleshooting or, you know, Googling for something that's going to, to solve your problems, uh, uh, what we used to call in the vendor world call deflection. So, um, you know, I'm frustrated with Stack Overflow. Uh, I see a lot of uh, corners of that that uh, are, are, are neglected and the culture there is is pretty rigid. You know, I'm frustrated with Slack. Uh, GitHub is great, but, you know, it's not is- – GitHub issues are not meant to be community discussions and which they're really often used for. So this developer-centric set of communities, I think the tools are very impoverished. I'd love to see a return of forums, frankly, because I thought they were a lot more useful for actually doing uh, technical stuff and, in fact, even more useful than uh, – I mean, there's mailing lists, but, the, you know, they're they're kind of isomorphous. So – I don't know. I I don't love the, the existing tools. That was why my one minute, my my, my next uh, advice, I guess, is you know get involved as much as you can and then do what you can. I mean, the the, every, the vendors want to work with you. The, the foundations want to work with you. The projects are very open to people jumping in as individuals. The opportunities are amazing. Um, you know, and and lots of people welcoming. I mean, you got to kind of you know go slow and and learn the territory. As is companies, you know, that's a little more tricky, right? Because there's always business relationships in there. But I, I, I think the tools are crap, but people still manage to connect because we're social animals. So, yeah. you know, you, you live with, you know, I hate Slack, but but I'm in a bunch of Slack teams. So there you go. <laughs> that's right. It's replaced your email. It wasn't supposed to replace email, but it's replaced it. <laughs> and augmented it. It's just so it. hard to find anything. I can't yeah. find anything, any old, anything old. So, I mean, that that's really the, the, the institutional knowledge that's being lost is really kind of frustrating to me. But right. I'll get over it. I'm, I'm cranky. Get off my lawn. <laughs> well, listen, John, uh, thank you for this. Uh, we, we, you know, we, we probably could go on for, for quite a while, but we'll kind of wrap it up there. Um, one last time, where can people find either your tech reckoning stuff or your geek whisper stuff, or even just, you know, you, you tend to go out to a bunch of these events that are community related. Where might you be out in the, uh, in the big bad world these days? I'm sure folks can stalk me online at, at J Troyer, T-R-J-T-R-O-Y-E-R on Twitter. Uh, that's usually where I hang out. You can go over to techreckoning.com, sign up for the mailing list. Geek-whispers.com is that podcast. And, uh, yeah, we're looking, we're working on some more media stuff. Uh, I'm, you know, I, I love podcasts. I'd like them to be able to more easily be able to be found. I, you know, I love the newsletters these days. I just, there's a, there's a lot of ways of, of curating and cutting through the noise. I think that's the biggest need these days the, for, for most people these, 
at this point in 2016, almost 2017. Yeah, very cool. Well, folks, uh, uh, all of John's stuff is highly recommended by both Aaron and I. Uh, you know, if you are just looking for, you know, ways to, to better understand the community, better understand how to keep up with all this stuff, uh, how to get your get your stuff out into a world with, with people that actually care about it as opposed to noise. I, I highly recommend all of it. So John, thanks again for being on and for John and for Aaron folks, we're going to wrap it up for this week and we will talk to you next week. Thank you very much. Thank you for listening to the cloudcast. Please visit the cloudcast.net to find more shows, show notes, videos, and everything social media. 